What do you say? Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. And I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Chris. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute or so. Take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. Coffee area is open for this portion of the meeting. Try not to be a distraction when refilling your cups. And also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down or swiping right or swiping left. Yeah, this is a text-free meeting, so let's turn your phones off. And if you feel the need to use your phone, we got a beautiful lobby downstairs with great reception. For meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and your posture. Sit up straight. Don't get too comfortable. Feel the air go in. Let the air go out. Do that for three whole minutes, and you'll be in such a calm place. Take this time to get reconnected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody in, Mr. Ryan? Let's shut the door. Let's go. We'll see you guys in three minutes.
the us version of the fog light prayer god let your love shine through us like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying can find your love through us and now for our final week of secretary let's have scott for the secretary's report scott come on up one last time okay I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. My name is Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, everybody. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. <clears throat> I've asked fellow retiring secretary Mark to come up and read the recovered statement for me. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering. And what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Mark. My name is Mark. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Mark. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, the allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. 
Thank you, Mark. If you want to see a final secretary report, that would be this. We believe in sponsorship here, 1940-style big book sponsorship for for, from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics came to AA and really tried. 50% got sobered once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. In the back, we have CDs, mugs, big print Big books, little red books, whatnot. If you have any sort of desire, Josiah is there to help you, or only one of us can help you after the meeting. And Macadamia is at the coffee pot. And Macadamia is at the coffee pot. Isn't that cool? All right. We have one announcement, a reminder that on Thursday, Allie B's last session is at 7.15. At 6 o'clock, we're having a Coney Island hot dog extravaganza. How do? Yeah. Come and eat all the hot dogs you can possibly eat. Timelines. We meet here every Monday. If you would like to help us and get to know us better, come see us at 5.30 to help us set up the room. At 6.30, it's coffee and conversation. At 7.12, the bells go off downstairs and the road to recovery tune plays. We ask you to be in your seats at 7.15, ready to meditate with our beloved monks. I hope you, came, I hope you hear what you came to hear, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for your service. That was fast. Wow. <sighs> From the four to the first edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group, too. From there is a solution, also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So this is an open meeting. As such, all who have interest in alcoholism and the program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity, anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And, and on the topic of anonymity, this is podcast on the Internet. So uh, if you do not want to be broadcast on the World Wide Web, uh, just go ahead and disguise your voice or just pass that microphone. Yeah. Uh, can, can I see a show of hands of, uh, that's where we're at, right? Yeah. yeah. Can I see a show of hands of people joining us for the very first time, never been here before? Pop your hands up. Great. Um, we have a question and answer period. Hopefully you'll catch on. We just read something out of the book. You'll catch on, hopefully. And people nearby will help you, hopefully. Can I see a show of hands of the recovery alcoholics in the room? Leave your hands up. If your hand's not up, I recommend you talk to the folks whose hands are. They'll get you connected to God, and then you can have a life that's free of crazy, well, alcoholism and drugs. Good. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a newcomer and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So does anybody not have a big book in front of you right now? Raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Great. You Welcoming committee did great there. Fantastic. By the way, we do have loaners, but we do recommend you bring your own book for putting notes in and whatnot because it is a book study. And before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed uh, Tradition 1 with Ryan, which was awesome. And tonight we're going to revisit uh, the traditions with Ryan on Tradition 2. So please refer to... Yeah, let's bring Ryan up. And, uh, <laughs> one, 
177 of the abridged. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Uh, hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. And today we are doing tradition two. Uh, so tradition two in the short form. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And in the shorter long form. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Um, so I think the question that this tradition raises is, uh, what is AA? Is it a democracy, or is it, as Bill Wilson put it, a benign anarchy? Um, and a lot of the reading that I've been doing and the, the talks I've been listening to, I think the conclusion that I'm coming to is that it's both. <clears throat> uh, so group conscience. Uh, group conscience can provide guidance without the weight of personality or ego. Um, it brings us back from our self-centered opinions and ideas, um, and it gives us a sincere consideration of what's best for AA, um, and therefore a consideration of what's best for each of us as individuals. Um, I found it pretty interesting how this tradition kind of aligns with the second step of the program, um, where in the second step we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, and then with this second tradition, we learn that this power also is the guiding force behind AA. Um, so as individual AAs, um, each one of us is going to come to depend on a power greater than ourselves. We have to. Um, we come to believe that this power uh, is not only a source of strength, but it's also a source of positive direction. Uh, so each day when we retire at night, we're going to look over our day and, and review where we've fallen short or any mistakes that we've made. Um, and we'll see what character defects are still lingering. Um, we become willing that these be removed. So this is, um, in a sense, improving our conscious contact with God. Uh, and I think it's the same thing for the groups. <clears throat> uh, daily experience will teach the, uh, teach the conscience, um, and they'll start to recognize their own defects. And one by one, they'll lessen or they'll be removed. Uh, so now the higher power that we've come to rely on individually is working through a clear group conscience. Um, so now what about the elected officials? Uh, we heard them talking earlier about it, like the secretary and how we're voting a new secretary tonight. Um, these are just people that are servants for the group. You know, um, they, they carry out the work that has to be done, um, and they do it for a limited amount of time. Uh, but they don't govern AA. Uh, the treasurer can never compel a person to put money in the basket. The secretary can never tell someone that they have to leave or, like, reprimand someone. Um, their job's pretty clear. Uh, they just serve the group. Um, but that's not to say that we don't have leaders in AA. We do. Uh, we have plenty of spiritual leaders. Um, and I think uh, it's the 12 and 12 that refers to them as elder statesmen. Um, and then these are the people that can be looked to for guidance um, or advice, but they'll also stand by and they'll let the group conscience be the final say. Um, so I think that basically what this tradition boils down to, and it's pretty cliche, but is let go and let God. So that's all I've got for oh. tradition. In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. And tonight we've asked Tanner to come up and be our reader tonight. Hey, Tanner, come on up and have a seat. Give him a round of applause. First time. Bring your book. Bring a book. Bring a book. 
So tonight we're going to start reading on page 136-ish. Yeah, but we'll tell you when to read. You sit there until we get to that part. Um, so after the book is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium starting at the top of page 136-ish. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified. A multi-part questions are simply one sentence Answer split up by commas, semicolon, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the information once through and then redissect the material a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. You know, this is important because hearing the questions and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations. Based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experience with this information, you're free to share. And if you don't, feel free to listen, ask questions. And if your share starts going down some rabbit hole in terms of like an open discussion topic, that's your job. He'll cut that short. <laughs> Big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship or support group setting, please do not be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. Which means we get here about 5.30, start setting the room up, hanging out, talking, chilling, smoking cigarettes, vaping, having a fun, getting to know each other. Because we all have things we need to share and learn from each other. That's the fellowship part of the meeting. Show up early, hang around afterwards, be part of the group, and that will help you in that part of the circle of service. You can never go wrong, but you can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teachings and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. And on that, we are starting a new chapter tonight called To the Employers. And we just didn't roll the dice and say, hey, let's do the employers tonight. We started at 70... Four weeks ago on page zero, which is the forwards. The main purpose of the forwards is to help us understand this Alcoholics Anonymous, this program we're getting involved in, some history, what what it's about, how it got started. Because we want you to join Alcoholics Anonymous knowing full well what you're getting into. We don't want to do no bait and switch stuff. And the best way to find out what we're alcoholic is we have a chapter called... The doctor's opinion. The doctor is Dr. William D. Silkworth. We actually got a cool poster of him and his life kind of hanging up in the staircase. And he talks about the disease of alcoholism. What does it mean to be an alcoholic? It means I have a threefold illness, uh, spiritual malady, disconnect from God. I have a physical allergy. When I start drinking, I can't stop drinking. And I have this mental obsession that's going to basically a peculiar mental twist. There's no effective way that I can not pick up the first drink if I'm an alcoholic. And uh, that seems a little bit abstract. So thankfully we have... Bill's story, which brings it to life. It's, a, it's actually a 12-step call in a book. So the idea is we're going to find out what Bill was like, how his drinking life progressed, how his life progressed, how he struggled to, to control or stop, how he became in a, unable to control and stop, control and stop, how a solution was introduced to his life, how he finally had that solution enter his life, and what he did with his life going forward. But that whole spiritual experience thing was left a little hazy, so we have a whole chapter called... There is a solution, and the solution's God. I'll ruin the surprise for you. Um, so, and there's a solution. We talk about two powers. We talk about the power of the fellowship, uh, the power that you get from just hanging out around a bunch of alcoholics that have survived a common peril. That common peril is the disease of alcoholism and having shared in that is powerful to be a part of that. And then the other power is this transformation that we get through working the steps. It's called a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening. We meet Carl Jung and Roland Hazard in that chapter. They talk about ideas, beliefs, and conceptions that were once the guiding forces in the lives 
of us alcoholics are cast to one side and a new set of motives begin to dominate us. And so if you think you know a little bit about alcoholism by this point in the book and a little bit about the solution, luckily we have a chapter called The Closer, which is also called... More About Alcoholism, which is going to directly talk about the program that he meant, the fellowship of the program. That in itself is not enough to help us stay sober. We need to have a relationship with God. So More About Alcoholism explains how knowledge and fellowship is great to get us started, but that in itself will fail us. We need to have a spiritual experience sufficient to recover from alcoholism, and that's brought about by having a relationship with God. And if that's a problem for you, we got a chapter called... We Agnostics. It starts on page 44, and it's a great chapter to qualify an alcoholic. It says if when you're drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, or if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, you're probably an alcoholic. And if that's the case, you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. If we think we're atheists or agnostic, it seems impossible, but we have that chapter to guide us to how people have established that relationship when half of the original alcoholics thought they were atheists or agnostics. It's not a great barrier to having a spiritual experience. And, and how so, does that work? Well, we got a chapter called How That Work. And we start off by having a third step, which is basically turning your will, which is my thinking, and my life, which is my actions, over to a power greater than myself. Your conception of God, which you started to come through from we agnostics, and we take that third step and we realize i got to get the stuff in my life that's blocking me from this relationship with God. And that's our fourth step. We do an inventory on resentments, fears, sex conduct, and harms to others. We write this stuff down and we start to see who we really are. We, for the first time for myself, I was actually able to see the dirtbag I was when I showed up in everybody's life. But here's the best part. I can't, give, I can't do my own inventory. I need help with somebody else. And that we need to go into? Into action. And into action we have step five, which is we admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And actually we got a lot of steps in there. We got steps five through 11 in into action. And that's the bulk of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the meat and potatoes are in there. And that's a design for living. So how I'm going to live if I want to be a sober, recovered alcoholic is going to be basically into action in that chapter in the book. Um, you know, it's talking about how to go forward and make amends. It's talking about how to do a 10th step inventory, how to do 11 nightly review. And then, um, once we've had this experience through the result of all these steps, what are we going to do then? You know, I was just thinking you know, the chapter into action, seven steps in one chapter, simple, but not easy. It's you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in that chapter. You are not the person you are after coming out of that chapter as you were when we started reading to the forwards. So we got a whole new chapter called working with others, which is what we take this information, this life changing event in our life. And we start passing this on to others because it's pointed out all the way through the book. Nothing will so ensure immunity from alcohol that intensively working with other alcoholics. So the working with others is a description of a 12 step call, how to get to know this person eventually. We particularly like to have big book sponsorship. We get to know them. We start reading, using the book to sponsor and bring them through the steps. That's the way we do it around here. And that brings us to the people we've also screwed over. And a lot of them are what? To wives. We have a chapter called To Wives. And, <laughs> and uh, He's married. I can, was. <laughs> I, yeah, I used to be. Uh, yeah. I, so you would have liked this book, I bet. <laughs> I was married for, for close to a decade, and then I uh, woke up in detox, and I wasn't. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, So, to God wives, and, and I went to a lot of AA meetings, by the way, before my divorce, and that's what the chapter kind of talks about, which is like, once the drunk, once the alcoholic has been introduced to the fellowship and to the program of action, whether or not he gets and stays sober, uh, you need to be able to live happy, joyous, and free as a family member or as a significant other of an alcoholic. That's what the chapter is all about. It lays out different stages of alcoholism, different types of alcoholics, and how somebody who's not an alcoholic but is affected by one, how they should live and how they should interact.
You know, we damage wives and families, husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends, the whole bus of people that we destroy. For every alcoholic, they say there's seven people initially that we, that we interfere with their lives with. And we, the next chapter is to the family afterward. Afterward what? After they've discovered the program found in Alcoholics Anonymous. How to look at dad as he goes through the steps in this life-changing adventure. Or how to look at dad who doesn't go through. Like you said, this part of the book is helping the family to get on with their lives. Whether dad's going to come along or not. These people need to get healed too. Why dad's out doing what he needs to do. Getting sober, not getting sober. These family members can work with others and have their lives become well. That's what it's all about. So, a lot of us had, who had a job before he got sober? Who had lots of jobs before he got sober? <laughs> who's been, who's had like 18 jobs? That'd be sort of fun. There's a lot of us. I always thought I was training for different. I wasn't sure. It's like, oh, I always thought that my, that my application, well, look at all the different learning experiences I've had. And they're like, well, why'd you lose these jobs? So we got a chapter called to the employers. And every time we come to this new chapter, the book, has these blue pages. This is from Krusty Cliff and Joe and Charlie put these things together to sort of tee us up in their way what this chapter is going to be like. Um, it's full of great information, so we're going to diddly do diddly do. okay? All you right. go first. Two employers, and this is pages 136 through 150. The authors of this textbook were farsighted enough to recognize that as alcoholics sobered up and began to return to a more normal type of life, they would, of course, be returning to the workspace. There is little doubt that any business employing a number of people will have in its midst active, midst active alcoholics. It is most easy for us to think of the ordinary contacts we make in searching for the suffering ones such as doctors, ministers, attorneys, law enforcement agencies, hospitals, etc. But all too often, one of the places offering the greatest potential is overlooked. That, of course, is the workplace. Some of our members have made certain that the chief executive officers of their place of employment are recipients of the big book. In some cases, it is in keeping with their attempt to make amends for their past deeds, or maybe just to try to make what could prove to be a significant contribution to their employer. In any case, it's more than possible that another suffering alcoholic will find our program and thereby be spared from a tragic ending. This is the only chapter that was not drafted by Bill W. The principal author of this section was Hank P., a terminated executive of a large corporation in the northeast part of the country. He tells a little of his story as an introduction to his contribution here, but going back to the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth tells of the alcoholic who thought his case so hopeless that he had gone to a deserted barn to die. That hopeless alcoholic turned out to be Hank P., the author of this chapter. His story, The Unbeliever, can be found in the original manuscript in the first edition of the big book. And if it's not in the big book anymore, you can probably find it online. It's a great story. So we're going to start on this into the employers. Remember, this is uh, an opportunity for us to pass information on to the workspace so that if somebody in your office or corporation has issue, they know there's a solution out there. Because remember, when this book first came out, nobody knew about AA. You know, it, was, it took a while, but now we know about it, a lot of misinformation, so it's nice to bring this book into play. If you would start reading page 136, we're going to read a page or two. You should be green already, aren't you? Yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. All right. Who are you? I'm Tanner. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Hey, Tanner. Tanner. <clears throat> two employers. Among many employers nowadays, we think of one member who has spent much of his life in the world of, bi of big business. He has hired and fired hundreds of men. He knows the alcoholic as the employer sees himself. 
His present views ought to prove exceptionally useful to businessmen everywhere. But let him tell you. I was, a, I was one time assistant manager of a corporation department employing 6,600 men. One day, my secretary came to me saying that Mr. B insisted on speaking with me. I told her to say that I was not interested. I had warned him several times that he had but one more chance. Not long afterward, he had called, called me from Hartford on two success, successive days. So, so drunk, he could hardly speak. I told him he was through, finally and forever. My secretary turned to say that it was not Mr. B on the phone. It was Mr. B's brother, and he wished to give me a message. I still, ex I still expected a plea for clemency. Clemency, yeah. Clemency. But these words came through the receiver. I just wanted to tell you, Paul, to tell you, Paul, jumped from a hotel window in Hartford last, Sunday, last Saturday. He left us a note saying you were the best boss he ever had and that you were not to blame in any way. Another time, as I opened a letter which lay on my desk and newspaper clipping fell out, it was the obituary of one of the best salesmen I ever had. After two weeks of drinking, he had placed his toe on the trigger of a loaded shotgun. The barrel was in his mouth. I had discharged, I had discharged him from, for drinking six weeks before. Still another experience. A woman's voice came faintly over long distance from Virginia. She wanted to know if her husband's company company insurance was still in force. Four days before, he had hanged himself in his woodshed. I had, been I, had been, I had been obliged to discharge him for drinking, though he was brilliant, alert, and one of the best organizers I have ever known. Here were three, here were three exceptional men lost to the world because I did not understand alcoholism as I do now. What irony. I became an alcoholic myself, and but for the intervention of an understanding person, I might have followed in their footsteps. My downfall cost the business community an unknown thousands of dollars, for it takes real money to train a man for an executive position. This kind of waste goes on un unabated. We think the business fabric is shot through with a situation which might be helped by better understanding all around. Nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of, of, his, of his help, and he tries to meet these responsibilities. That he has not always done so for the alcoholic is easy, easily understood. To him, the alcoholic has often seemed a fool of the first magnitude. Because of the employee's special ability or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work long beyond a reasonable period. Some employers have tried every known remedy. In only a few instances has there been a lack of patience and tolerance. And we who have imposed on the best of employers... Can scarcely blame can scarcely blame them if they have been short with us. Okay, that's enough for we're going to do some question and answers right now. You're going to do questions tonight, aren't you? Sounds good. This is going to be fun. So we're going to start the questions at one thirty-six. You just stay up here because we're probably going to come up and read some more tonight. So make yourself comfortable. You need some water. It's right over here. I'll get the microphone and we'll start over with Fred. Hi. To begin this chapter, we are going to focus on whom. Among many employers nowadays, we think one member who has spent much of his life in the world of big business. Does he have extensive experience in placing and displacing employees? He has hired and fired hundreds of men. From what viewpoint does he view alcoholics? He knows the alcoholic as the employer sees him. His views should prove helpful to whom? 
His present views ought to prove exceptionally useful to businessmen everywhere. And now for a piece of Hank's story, next paragraph. What was my position? I was at one time assistant manager of a corporation department employing 6,600 men. One day my secretary informed me of what? One day my secretary came in saying that Mr. B insisted on speaking with me. My reply was? I told her to say that I was not interested. Of what had I warned this man? I had warned him several times that he had but one more chance. What happened not long after the warning? Not long afterward, he had called me from Hartford on two successive days. So drunk, he could hardly speak. As the result, what did I tell him? I told him he was through, finally and forever. New paragraph. My secretary informed me that it was who? My secretary turned to say that it was not Mr. B on the phone. It was Mr. B's brother, and he had wished to give me a message. While I expected to hear some begging for the old job, I was surprised to hear the brother say what? The rest of the paragraph. Oh, wow. I still expected a plea for clemency, but these words came through the receiver. I just wanted to tell you, Paul jumped from a hotel winding in heart window in Hartford last Saturday. He left us a note saying you were the best boss he ever had and that you were not to blame in any way. All right, next paragraph. Another time when I opened a letter, what fell out? Another time as I opened a letter which lay on my desk, a newspaper clipping fell out. What was the newspaper clipping? It was the obituary of a, the best salesman I'd have, had ever had. After a drinking binge, what, he, what had he done? After two weeks of drinking, he had placed his toe in the trigger of a loaded gun and barrel in his mouth. What, I, what had I done to him shortly before? I had a discharge him for drinking six weeks before. Next paragraph. And still another experience I heard from whom? Still another experience. A woman's voice came faintly over long distance from Virginia. What was the purpose of her call? She wanted to know if her husband's company insurance was still in force. Why was she interested in knowing the answer to her question? Four days before, he had hanged himself in his woodshed. What had been my experience with him? I had been obliged to discharge him for drinking, though he was a... Sorry, go ahead. Yes, please. Uh, though, he was a, though he was brilliant, alert, and one of the best organizers I had ever known. And what is the reason that these men died? What is one reason these men died? Here were three exceptional men lost to this world because I did not understand alcoholism as I do now. And this is, yeah, that was the new paragraph. Thank you. Uh, what was the irony of all this? What irony? I became an alcoholic myself. What saved me from joining the three who had gone on before? And but for the intervention of an understanding person, I might have followed in their footsteps. And um, this is a two-part question. What had my alcoholism cost my employer, and why is that? My downfall cost the business community unknown thousands of dollars, for it takes real money to train a man for an executive position. Is this kind of thing uncommon? This kind of waste goes unabated. Thanks. What does our experience lead us to believe? Sir, don't yell. We think the business fabric is not shot through with a situation which might be helped by better understanding all around. 
Right, new paragraph. What does almost every responsible employer feel? Nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of his help, and he tries to meet their responsibilities. Have employers always treated alcoholics fairly? That he has not always done so for the alcoholic is easily understood. To many employers, what does the alcoholic appear to be? To him, the alcoholic has often seemed a fool of the first magnitude. If an employee had special talents or was a fair-haired boy, what would the employer sometimes do? Because of the employee's special ability or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work long beyond a reasonable period. What have some employers tried? Some employers have tried every known remedy. Once in a while, there was a lack of what? Patience and tolerance. All right, next page. Looking back at the time we were drinking, what can we now say? And we, who have imposed on the best of employers, can scarcely blame them if they have been short with us. An example is that of an officer of a large bank who knows what. Here, for instance, is a typical... Did we stop already? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. That's it. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. How many fair-haired boys do we have, or fair-haired girls that had bosses that they put up with stuff for a long period of time, right? Who would like to share on this? Something about this. Hi, Petey. Hello. Hi, I'm an alcoholic, recovered alcoholic, and my name is Peter. Hi, Peter. And here in front of me, I have a termination notice. And it says here, one of the things, it says, other, explain. It says, bad attitude doesn't work well with others. Can anybody in this group attest to that about me? <laughs> I just got terminated from my job. Uh, I was only there like two weeks ago. Um, oh. Thank God, you know, I'm up and running and on another job site tomorrow morning. Um, but I don't take that very lightly, you know, um, because it's something that, that has preceded me um, most of my life. And um, I, I don't play well with others, you know, and... Um, you know, the other kids have a right to play in the sandbox, too. Um, so I have much to learn, you know, although I'm, I'm not drinking and I have gone through the steps with the sponsor, um, there's much to be wanted as far as um, adapting to this new way of life. Um, and just because the alcohol has been removed from me doesn't mean um, that I'm instantly um, and miraculously cured. You know, especially with an alcoholic who lives with mental illness um, that affects their mood and so on. Um, but I'm very fortunate to be a part of this group, and um, I definitely invite um, everyone, you know, to be of help, you know, to me as uh, I wish to be of help to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, we got Andrew up here. <clears throat> I'm a recovered alcoholic. The name of the problem is Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Um, so a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, in this case, Massachusetts in 2013, um, before I had really been exposed to AA, um, I decided to take a leave of absence from my job for two weeks. And I remember calling a uh, treatment center that I was going to and asking them what I should tell my employer. They're like, well, you should come clean with them entirely. And uh, I did not want to do that because I did not want to admit that I was that drinking had, uh, you know, gotten to be what it was. 
So I, um, I took that two-week two leave of absence. I just told them, you know, I had some issues going on, and they let me go um, for those two weeks. I came back, and things got progressively worse. Um, I didn't do anything about it, and um, I, I, I was never approached by anybody in the company because I don't really know that they knew how to approach me because of how alcoholic I was. And that's not just to say that the drinking was affecting my job. It was all of the personality traits that come with being an alcoholic as well. So I, um, I ended up getting fired from that job. Um, and I'm, I'm very, you know, at the time I was very angry about it, but I, it ended up, you know, setting me on the right path. I mean, a couple of years later I was able to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, and, you know, now, now I have a responsibility in the workplace that I work in where I can see people struggling with alcoholism um, or whatever. It might even be drug use. And, and so, like, I, I have this, like, weird line that I have to walk where, like, I tell, like, I joke about my drinking and how I used to drink and I don't drink anymore and try to carry myself to the best of my ability, um, you know, which is any given day. It depends on how I'm going. But, but I always want to be there to outstretch that hand for people because there is a better way of life. And, and I didn't know about it back then. You know, I, 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 no one approached me to tell me when I was at my workplace because, you know, I wasn't forthcoming about all the information. They were like, one of, one of my, my colleagues was like, you should take FMLA or something like that. But um, it, I just didn't know that the help was there and I didn't know that this was even possible. So now, as a recovered alcoholic, it's, it's my duty and my responsibility to outstretch my hand wherever and whenever possible. And I, I, I had to do that actually a week and a half ago where I got one of my, my colleagues into to detox. And now I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting his phone call so that I can jam this book down his throat. Um, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Next. Hey, Robert. My name is Robert, and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, what it says here, my downfall cost the business community unknown thousands of dollars, for it takes real money to train a man for an executive position. It's me. Um, I've had an executive position, and as it turned out, um, those above me and around me knew of my drinking, and they uh, saw me deteriorate, and I... After I made amends, I got a letter saying, um, unfortunately, we saw you deteriorate. And they kept me employed to the point where I was becoming a liability for the company. And, um, and that's what this disease does. And the other thing I want to share is that um, from some of the mental illnesses I suffer from, I now know that... In that corporate environment, you know, decisions are taken sometimes very quickly and a lot of risk is taken. And their mental illness is not easily discovered until it goes totally wrong and then everything comes together. So um, for those of you who have a quick mind and take a lot of risk in the workforce, don't think that uh, you may need some help uh, with other illnesses. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, on the topic of uh, being trained and costing a lot of money, I remember I went to the corporate headquarters for my company. They flew me out for management leadership training, and I was uh, basically with, knew I was going to have to withdraw from, from something when, when I went out there, and I planned to leave a day early. So I flew, they cost thousands of dollars to fly me out and pay me and train me and 
talk about what it means to be a leader in the company and what are our company values. And then uh, in the dead of night, I left my rental at the airport and flew back home early so I could do what I had to do. And uh, gosh, what a, what a crazy world it is. Corporate America is an alcoholic. <laughs> Lex- <laughs> Uh, Josiah, alcoholic. This uh, this chapter is hard to read because it brings up one of the most difficult, you know, awful things that I ever went through personally. And uh, it was because of my alcoholism, because of my drinking, because of my, you know, inability to uh, control what I did when I drank. I was kicked out of the uh, military and I had gone in early. I'd gone in when I was 17, had my parents sign a waiver and uh, it was it was the most difficult thing, not only because, you know, I had lost um, my purpose, such a solid, concrete fact that I had told myself that, you know, this is what I was born to do. This is what I was created for. You know, I'm supposed to be a soldier. And um, it says on 137, we think the business fabric is shot through with a situation which might be helped by better understanding all around. And there's such a lack of understanding, you know, in, I think a lot of businesses in the army in particular about this disease and what it does to people and how people act. And, uh, there was a lack of misunderstanding on my, on my part. Right. So I was told, you know, at, at, a, as a 20 year old, you know, go, go to meetings, don't drink, um, that kind of laissez faire approach that helps problem, problem, hard, heavy drinkers, but not real alcoholics, you know? And, uh, I, I don't know if there's an Al-Anon for employers, but I don't know that. I think that would be a great idea, but I think the army could benefit from that. I think, I mean, I could have benefited from all of this, of course, but at, uh, you know, at 2018, 19, 20 and 21, I just wasn't ready. So it was inevitable that this was going to happen and inevitable that I would be fired from 10 other jobs, you know, along probably more than that. Who knows? Um, but now I have a solution now I have this book, and you know, hopefully I won't get fired from any more. So. I always thought I was getting well-rounded education with all these different jobs. <laughs> all the industries I've experienced. James, well, recovered alcoholic. Hi, James. Hi, James. In my alcoholism, I was always the employee that got let go by multiple bosses. And this time around, I got to be the employer or the manager that Excuse me. Got to help somebody while they were in the grips of their alcoholism. It says nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of his help and tries to meet their responsibilities. And it says some employers have tried every known remedy. My higher-ups at my job have tried multiple remedies with a young lady that worked at the front desk. And luckily that, that I had a solution in my life. I'm stuttering. Holy crap. <laughs> luckily I had a solution in my life, and I was able to grab her out of the other hotel she went to drink out of and take her through the book. So I got a new sponsor out of it and she's doing great. So I'm glad that I had the experience from both ways. Thanks for sharing. If they know about us. They can't get help from us. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the book. I'm Tom. I'm an alcoholic. Hey Tom. Hey, Tom. Um, reverse pride seems to be coming up a lot with me lately. I, I was leaving a, an interview, not an even an interview. It was kind of just like, Hey, you're starting at this company today. And I got a text from, the boss that I had, I didn't, I lost the job because I stopped going. So I guess he fired me or I fired myself. I'm not exactly sure. Um, and I got a text from this guy and just randomly today. And he was like, Hey, I'm trying to get you your job back. But first he asked how I was doing. And then I guess he had heard that. And he's sober. Thank God. Um, and he heard I was doing well. And he's like, I want to get you your job back. It's a really good job. Um, so my first thought was I don't deserve it. I'm like so masochistic with things sometimes. 
Um, and just reading this first part about um, suicide, I mean, I've went down that path before unsuccessfully, um, obviously. And um, successfully, <laughs> successfully you did. Yeah, I mean, successfully, unsuccessfully. And um, I mean, this guy, this guy, I, I, I shut the phone off. I'm a phone off guy. I go to the hotel, shut the phone off, block the numbers. He had his girlfriend trying to call me. He got in touch with me. He was the guy who picked me up from the hotel when I was detoxing and let me stay at his house until I found a place to go. I mean, I could have easily been a guy jumping out the window. My hotel was only on the second floor, though, so I probably would have just hurt my ankle. But <laughs> I could have easily been that guy if it wasn't for him. And, um, I mean, he just reached out to me today. I feel like i got to give him a call and just thank him again. I kind of give him a passive thank you, but, I mean, if he wasn't there, who knows? Who knows? And, um, I mean, I'm not putting all my eggs in a basket to go get the old job. It would be nice to have it, but um, it's just really cool that he knows the program and there are people out there that know the program, or else I'd be in a lot of trouble right now. So, thanks. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so, I, I was very successful having jobs with very or little need to be responsible or be adultish. Uh, waiting tables, hosting, uh, bar backing, bartending, bouncing, believe that. Um, the, the first adult job I had, first adult job I had was um, shipping stuff for a company around the country and the world. And it worked really good until like a month later when everything started coming back because I sent the wrong stuff, sent the wrong stuff to the wrong factory to the wrong time. <laughs> and, and the boss was really concerned about me. And, and he, he pulled me aside and asked what was going on. And, and I... I said, well, I go out with these guys. We smoke pot at lunch. And, and he's like, <laughs> and um, two nights later, I, on the way to the caboose, I put a note through the mailbox saying, hey, I just got a job as a flight attendant. won't be showing up to work anymore. This guy called my parents because they had the emergency and warned them that I might have a drinking problem and talked about some of my behavior. My parents didn't do much with it, but this was the first guy who ever really reached out. I got a job once when I was waiting tables, and what always won out? Show up to work at 7 in the morning or stay out, party till 3. So I, this is an adult job that I just stopped going to also. Mm. This guy, and then the funny thing is I was waiting at a table, and he hired me from this restaurant. So he kept coming to the restaurant, and I'm still waiting on him. We never talked about the fact that I stopped coming to his work. But if these people had maybe known a little bit more about this, maybe I could have gotten help. I relapsed in... Uh, to 1999, and I started working. I was work, started working for the company that I had started. I had gotten this job because I was in recovery with the owner of this company, and he knew I was drinking. But he knew that I wouldn't do anything until I was ready. So he watched me bake. He just put up with my shenanigans. One time there was a, a, an office meeting. They were talking about Mike Chase and his alcoholism because I'd never shown up. And my boss looked at me and said. Mike Chase used to be an alcoholic. Now he's just a drunk. Leave him alone. And he let me be a mess until I came to him one day and said, I need help. And he gave me time off to go to, to, to get help. And he was supportive in my relapses. God had saw fit to put my future sponsor in this company to, to, to watch me bake also. And when I was ready, they were there. They didn't push me. They didn't force me. But when I, when I was desperate enough... You either get help or you don't have a job, which is perfect because he knew what to do. Um, back to the book. This is the one chapter where they hit us right away with the death caused by alcoholism. 
with the family after with to the wives, it slowly sort of brings up the, the crescendo of the shit's going to hit the fan, and this is really going to be horrible, right? The family afterwards gives an opportunity of what the family can do, but this starts right off, you know, because the employer isn't can only relate to one thing, the seriousness of this, and 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 the fact that you know the money. It's funny how he talks about the loss of the revenue from having to train these guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really nice guy. I'm going to miss him. I say, damn, he's going to be expensive to replace. This is expensive. And which is we're going to find out because this is all about the money and about helping people is sort of secondary in this chapter. But we're going to find that there are ways for these people to get help. So this is really a depressing. This is, you know, I send the morning text out to people every morning, a paragraph or two. And, and this is the one where this is the past two weeks. Please take me off this list. Because <laughs> it is really depressing. It's just like. Gee, thanks for the wake-up call, Chase. <laughs> today, the, the jumping out the window was today, wasn't it? Wake up to that. That's a great way to start your day. So um, this is all about getting the facts out there because what did your coworkers think about your drinking? Party boy, right? Just grow up. Get your act together like this. This way, they're shocking them with the, the seriousness of this malady because they don't get it unless they're one of them. And they're one of Who worked for drunks? Who worked in the party? Right? They just partied right along with us. You know, nobody else understood us. So this is how they get their attention right up. Hi. Hi. Fuzzy part. Javier, alcoholic. Hey, Javier. Um, thank you for your service. Nice to see you up there. Um, I, don't, I, I, I went through my own spree of jobs. I was always the alcoholic that managed to keep a job despite my... Uh, performance in some areas um but it, it like it says earlier in the book you know like we do per- possess certain qualities certain aptitudes um we're very determined people but that determination that we have as a gift is oftentimes misplaced um which got us into a lot of trouble um but i think that there's so much emphasis put on our jobs and like i that's kind of like what i wanted to speak to um i was really fortunate to have a, a boss who was understanding. And um, I think it reminds me too, like our way of living has its benefits for all. Um, and so when I relapsed this time around and I called, um, I was okay with losing my job for the first time in my life instead of going through FMLA and co- calling HR and like trying to micromanage my unmanageability. Um, I just called and I quit and I told her that I was a fucking alcoholic and that I appreciated everything she did for me and that I wasn't going to come back to work. And then I hung up on her. Um, and she held my job and she said, I just want the old Javier back. And she said, take all the time you need. And it was just like incredible. Um, I used to look at my job as my, like who I am. And there's a, a very unhealthy attachment there because what my job is, is not what my work is. My work is to make the world a better place. My work is to be there for the sick and suffering alcoholic. My work is to help my fellow man. That's my work. My job is what I do to be able to pay my bills and be a part of this world. Um, the other thing that's incredible is like, I also think to myself like, okay, this is just my silly sober job. Like, this isn't what I'm going to be doing forever because that's another thing I do, right? Like, I'm going to be a server forever. I'm going to work at the mall forever. I'm going to be a busboy forever. Like, I might as well just kill myself right now. Like, so, like, that's, like, where my mind goes. And it's just, like, no, but, like, 
given the tools that we have, this is actually training me. You know, there's there, the lessons are so much bigger. Am I going to see the forest through the trees or am I going to just be distracted? Because everything that we have, every job, everything that's big and small is a great opportunity to learn. And what this program has done, it's through God's grace has placed me in a position where I can be of maximum service to my fellows at the mall. Like, and it's like, what am I going to do with that? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things that go a much more important demonstration of is lies ahead of us in our perspective, homes, jobs, occupations, and affairs. Like how am I showing up to work? You know, um, my, my inventory at night, my job and people at my job often end up there quite often, you know? And it's just like, what am I doing with that? Am I showing up at work? Am I maintaining my integrity? Am I pushing myself every single day to be a better man? Not because it's not between me and my employer. It's between me and God. I'm serving God. God is my employer, not my actual employer. And so, like, what am I going to do with God as my, like, supreme employer in this, like, sub-employer <laughs> area? Um, and it's just, like, a huge growth process. I mean, I almost got fired, like, two months ago. And because I lied about something and it was just crazy to see how like I fell back into this and it was really funny because I, my manager pulled me outside and we were like having a talk and I had to sign some documents. And, um, (laughs) the thing is like, she's, she made a list kind of like the one that Peter was reading and it just said like, uh, a bunch of legal stuff. But then she just looked up at me and she goes, you were selfish. You were manipulative you did this, you did this, you did this. And in my head, I was like, well, she already did my inventory. Like, <laughs> like got a little jump start on that one. <laughs> um, but then I just walked outside and I looked up at the sky and I said, thank you, God. Thank you for continuing, continuing to do for me what I could not do for myself and showing me how I can show up and be a better man and humbling me so that I can continue to learn. The lessons that we pick up along the way in our jobs can benefit us we learn how to communicate with people. We learn how to work well and play well with others. We learn how to serve the customers that are difficult. Every, all of the tools that are given here are just going to be demonstrated in our employers. And then like the grace and the beauty is that we get to be the ripple effect of healing. Like to have my father called me and say like, hey, one of the chefs at my restaurant, I think he's an alcoholic. Can you talk to him? You know, to have people at my mother's job come in and she knows the look of a mother whose kid is in active alcoholism or addiction because she looked in the mirror for seven years. And so she knows what a suffering mother looks like. And as soon as she says she's okay and they like open up to her, she's like, my son is doing good now. Maybe you can talk to him. And so like God's going to use everything in the world to serve a greater purpose. And we're a part of that. And so it's just a really cool thing. And I never realized how morbid this was. That's crazy. It is. We're like, you think the rest today. of the book is morbid. This is like, hey, suicide. Right. Thanks. <laughs> you know, the day that my parents discovered Al-Anon, I thought was the scariest day of my life. It's like, oh, crap. Greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. It helped me to grow. It held me accountable. They knew my shtick from that point on. So how many of us don't dare tell our employers we're addict alcoholics because we don't want them to hold us accountable and make us better, right? If we come out to these people, then somebody else can get helped. He's helping his dad. You know, his dad and his mom are able to help people. Anybody else got to share? You got one up here? Marina. Marina. Oh, she's an employer. <laughs> yeah. Fired anybody today? So um, I, too, was a functioning alcoholic. And I remember um, working for this couple, a husband and wife, 
And they just kept me around a lot longer than I should have been there. But so I can definitely relate with because of the employee's special ability or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work long beyond a reasonable period. And the matter of fact is I was great, you know, at what I did. And I was great when I was there, but I happened to always miss out Mondays and leave early on Fridays. And then my lunch breaks were always longer than everybody else's. But I knew if I hustled when I was actually at work, they would keep me. And I took advantage of them because I knew they needed me. But these people, you know, they, they turned out to absolutely love me. They bought me a car. They, um, and I remember one day they sat me down in their office and they asked me, they're like, Marina, what's going on? Like, we care about you. And they looked me dead out in the eyes and they're like, is something going on with you? And I remember I wanted to so bad tell them, you know, what was going on, but I was not at that point in my life. And I remember telling them I'm fine. And I really was not fine. And, um, you know, I wish I was honest with them because then my, maybe my rock bottom wouldn't have taken me so long. But I'm also grateful for everything that has happened. And now I do happen to be an employer with my husband, and we happen to hire a lot of people in recovery. So, um, I, so I'm grateful, you know, because I can see when something's wrong with somebody. And there's a fine line between helping somebody and enabling them. And that's what I, I make sure we don't enable anybody because they can take advantage of you. But I, can, I happen to know what to look for now. So I am grateful for everything I've gone through. Yeah, I retired and, uh, well, when I'm disability, relapse went crazy. But uh, I'm one of the few people that in the middle of a relapse had to get a job to start paying the bills. So I had uh, been drinking for about two and a half years, and I went back to the as an employee, as an employer part owner. And he sat with me through my relapse for like two and a half, almost three years. But he's also been able to have me sober for 13 years because he he hung on to me he, he he held me accountable he called me out on my duty wherever possible but you know if, if if it's played right we can help people to become you know great members of society that's what the whole purpose of this chapter is going to be is instead of treating us like garbage and just throw us aside what's the best way to deal with somebody who wants to get it how to how to determine who's going to get you know who wants and who doesn't want it's just like to the wives or to the boss if he doesn't want to fire him, if he wants it, support him. If he lapses once in a while, support him. It's up to you to decide what to do. So, Great stuff. Anybody else? Well, I would just say this oh, is... Hi. Hey. <laughs> you know, this is, there is a solution uh, to alcoholism, and that's something that before this book was written just wasn't the case. People that were drunks, they thought it was a moral failing in large part, and it was just an opinion, which is why it's the doctor's opinion, that... Uh, it was a disease and that people could actually be treated and recover. So uh, on the other side of that, you know, employers have, there's a lot of value in an alcoholic too. And it's a practical program of action. This chapter is written by Hank, not by Bill. And it helps us to see the, the practical aspects of a recovered alcoholic at work later, later on. So next week, we're going to be jumping in a little bit deeper. Let's give Tanner a round of applause for reading and sitting here so well. You can sit down now, sir. Um, tonight was a little bit of a taste. Next week, I'm going to be up in Minnesota for my mom's 90th birthday. Fred's going to be somewhere. So we got a few, the last business meeting, we, we voted to let Chris and Lexi just take over the next series. So for the next few months, <laughs> next 
month and a half, two months, we're going to have them bounce in and get comfortable with it. So when we do start on page zero, the forwards, they can feel comfortable in what they're doing. So next week, we got uh, dry run with these two up there together. So come and support Lexi. Invite all your friends. The more people, the better. You know, make her feel comfortable. There's only 60,000 people listening. It will be cool. (laughs) So from a vision for you, time to close the meeting, ain't it? Yep. Okay, you go, Buckaroo. Page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. So abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsees to introduce, or sponsors rather, to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. So if in you, English, if you are a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you have a new sponsee, come on up, we'll give them a medallion. You can introduce them to the family of Alcoholics Anonymous. Hi, you got one. Fuzzy part. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ryan. And um, I got the opportunity to work with Amber before, um, and she's back again. So we are. Um, we just finished. There's a solution. We're going to be doing more about alcoholism uh, this week. So just get reconnected with Amber and welcome her back. <laughs> have anybody celebrating a year or more of recovery? Medallion night. Anybody got anything picking up tonight for that? Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Anybody out there does not have a big book sponsor? Who doesn't have a sponsor? Raise your paw hand. If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting and you can fill out a membership card. And then you can come and check out our first business meeting tonight. Can all home group members raise your hands? Hope to see you guys tear down the room and stick around a little bit for the business meeting also. Great. We'll see you right after the meeting to help take down the room. <laughs> um, don't forget, this Thursday, we're having our hot dog, excuse me, Coney Island hot dog extravaganza hoedown, which means at uh, 4 o'clock, we're going to show up and start getting the food ready and whatnot. Uh, dinner's going to start around 5.45, 6. We're going to have Coney Island hot dogs, chips, and other accoutrements that are going to be really good. And, and to top it off, remember, it's the 4th of July, so you guys can show up, bring some friends. And over there on Las Olas Boulevard, they're going to have the shuttle going back and forth. So after the, after the workshop, you can go down and watch the fireworks and then get a ride back, too. So have some, you know, get a bang, bang here and then go out and go have some, watch some fireworks there. <laughs> and uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. We hope to see you Thursday for the hot dog extravaganza and alley and also next week, Thursday evening. That's what we all talked about. And, uh, oh, yeah. don't forget, July, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, we start the new series. And that's Peter M. from Boca Raton. So tell your friends, come on back. Peter's going to knock it off. He's going to be great again this year. That starts at 7.15 also. Um, by the way, why does the bathroom smell like an IHOP? I smell pancakes <laughs> and cookies and... 
just just I don't know what's going on in there lately. And uh, on that Speaking note, of that, <laughs> please wait until you're 75 feet away from the church. We want to stay in good standing with the church here. They're super nice to us. So wait till you're 75 feet to smoke or vape nicotine. Ooh, or just the flavor. It's just yeah. the flavor, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So let's close now with the Lord's Prayer. Everybody just chill out. Shh. Who will bring us from shame to grace? Speaks you guys this Thursday. Can't get it right It doesn't matter
Michael Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Each way flies 
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Yeah.